Hello and welcome everyone to the Everlifting Podcast. The holidays just ended, we're approaching New Year, we have no more time for talking, let's get on with it. Part 2 of my interview with Steve Maxwell. Enjoy. So uh, let's backtrack a little bit back to uh, uh, age and training and also with mobility. What what is more important as you grow older? Is it the mobility aspect or is it the strength training to do the strength training? Strength training is the single most important thing a person can do to preserve their youth uh, because it, uh, it keeps bone density, uh, particularly in women with osteoporosis. Uh, strength training uh, will help you maintain your muscle mass. And of course, your, your metabolism is dependent upon your active tissue. And of course, when you weight train, you're not just working your muscles. Every muscle has nerves that lead to endocrine systems, different glands, and ner your nervous system is connected to every organ in your body. So when you are working your muscles, you are tonifying every organ, every, uh, every gland in your, your system, your nervous system, obviously. So it's not just musculoskeletal. And if you strength train properly with very little rest between movements because once again the goal of the type of strength training i'm talking about is not to see how many reps you can do or how much weight you can lift but it's to achieve momentary muscular fatigue so yeah. your body is forced to make an adaptation the the body the, the workout doesn't create the adaptation the body creates the adaptation later yeah, just to uh, uh, bring up another point there, when you train, when when you strength train, it will actually help keeping your brain younger as well. It will increase neuroplasticity, as it's called. Absolutely, your whole nervous system. So you're really tonifying every major system in your body. But the thing is, you got to be able to weight train in a way that doesn't destroy you. Proper strength training should prevent injuries, not cause them. And this is where a lot of young guys go wrong. They're getting hurt in the gym. But that, that's because they're lifting in a competitive way. And they're lifting with the weight as the goal or the reps as the goal. And they start to get a little bit sloppy uh, because they forget the, what the true purpose. Now, obviously, if you're a weightlifter, you're going to be pushing the envelope. You don't know at what point you're going to exceed the structural capacity of your body and something's going to give out. You don't know. And that's the price you pay to compete in strongman or weightlifting or even kettlebell sport. At some point, you may exceed your structural capacity. And you go in there with eyes open, knowing that's a very real possibility. However, uh, with regular, what I call general training versus specific training, general training uh, will make you better at anything you do, whether it be climbing the stairs lifting your grandchildren, carrying uh, bags of groceries, putting your suitcase in the overhead bin of the airline. This general training will make you more muscular efficient than anything you do. And it doesn't require a lot of time. And if you do it right, it increases mobility and decreases the chance of getting hurt when you do things. So what would you suggest when, when you're talking about this uh, one set high intensity to failure or close to failure? What sort of rep range or weights are we talking about here? Does that matter? or uh... Reps don't matter. Weight doesn't matter. 
What matters is the effort, intensity of effort, and okay. we also know that time under load. So I'm going to give an example of time yeah. under load. Uh, you're familiar with the old pull-up ladders to become better at pull-ups. Sure. Okay. I figured out once I used to do pull-up ladders because I like the bragging rights of being able to do a bunch of, you know, a, a big number of pull-ups. It's, it's stupid now, but, you know, my reps are like one second up, one second down. It's pretty fast, right? Yeah. I figured, I figured out that 50 reps is only about a minute and 40 second time under load. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? And uh, I'll give another example. I was uh, at the Commando Temple in uh, London, and it's kind of like a kind of like a crossfitish kind of place. It's a strength box, and uh, there was a young fella who was pretty well built, and uh, he made sure to have his shirt off to make sure everyone knew it. <laughs> and he, he he jumped up in a pull-up bar and he he did like uh, twenty pull-ups, and they were pretty decent pull-ups. They were full range. Okay. They weren't. They weren't like half reps. He was getting his head over the bar. Uh, he wasn't touching his chest to the bar, but his chin went over the bar every rep. Yeah. And but he was going pretty fast, like a second up, second down. And so his whole set was about 42 seconds, 43 seconds. So the guy I was working with, I showed him how to do slow, high tension reps. Perhaps you've heard of a very famous bodybuilder by the name of Dorian Yates. Sure. Sure. Yates. He he, uh, he favored this type of training I'm talking about. Absolutely. Brief, intense. Uh, his teacher was a guy by the name of Mike Menser, by the way. Anyway. Yeah, who also did this. Yeah. We did Dorian Yates stuff. So my guy jumped up there and did four seconds up with a two-second pause and a four-second negative. And he managed to get five reps. Five reps. It yeah. was about uh, 12, uh, 10, 12 seconds. So his time under load was almost a minute. Whereas the guy that did the 20 reps, he barely got over 40 second time under load. So the, the science has shown over and over again, it's time under load. There's, or some people say time under tension. T yeah. Tot or talk. Those are the two single most important factors in producing a training effect. But it seems like People can produce a training effect with as little as 30% of the single rep max. You do not need excessively heavy weights to produce a training effect. Now, you need a heavy weight if you're going to be a weightlifter. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you know the old, uh, you know the old uh, heavy weight, low rep for strength. Sure. Me medium weight, medium rep for hypertrophy. Yeah. Weight, light weights, high reps. For, for endurance, yeah. Well, there was a guy by the name of Fisher who did a meta-analysis of 37 studies. He combined 37 different strength studies. And what he found was, and James Steele did the same thing, there was no difference. reps, <laughs> medium weight, people got equal amounts of strength no matter what, high reps, which would explain it a lot. Remember the American football player by the name of Herschel Walker? Yeah, yeah. He used to be famous for doing uh, 1,500 push-ups every day. Yeah, I read about this. It's crazy stuff. This guy's yeah. uh, ability to recover from... <laughs> and he used to do these really hard reps. But the guy was chiseled. As a matter of fact, he was 52 years old and went into his first MMA fight and won 
against a kid like half his age. And that's awesome. So it just goes to show you, you can get results, higher reps, low reps, heavyweight, lightweight, doesn't matter as long as you're getting a sufficient time under load and as long as you are producing effort and working hard. The, the thing is that people have this huge variance between uh, <clears throat> what works for them and what doesn't. I mean, high intensity works for everyone, but there's a lot of applications of the high intensity. Uh, some people can recover really fast. I know some people that take at least a week to recover from a hard workout. And if you work out one minute before full recovery, you're actually undermining your results. And a lot of guys think, you know, it's how, how much time they spend in the gym that gives the results. It is not. Yeah, it's not always the effort that uh, just because you're more tired doesn't mean you're getting better. And people have to realize, too, there's a thing called selection bias, right? Yeah. And survival bias. Let's say, for example, you see these guys doing in-the-hood workouts, front levers, or, you know, doing gymnastic types training. And, man, these guys have amazing physiques. So, you know, the average kid sees this and says, wow, I want to have a body like a gymnast. I'm going to do gymnastic-style <clears throat> training so I develop the same physique. That makes as much sense as saying, hey, basketball players are really tall, so I'm going to start dribbling a basketball <laughs> so I get taller. That's right. I mean, they're probably good in their sport because of genetic predisposition more so. Well, obviously they put in the work, but they're genetically gifted for that. The basketball player was born to be tall. Well, they have a propensity for gaining the type of muscle that you need to do gymnastics. They have the right levers. They were born with forearm bone length compared to upper arm bone, you know, arm length versus torso length, uh, leg. I mean, all of these factors. I'm not saying that it doesn't work. And I'm not saying they don't work hard. Of course they work hard. Yeah, of course. The thing is, if you don't have the genetic predisposition to be successful at gymnastics, and if you don't have the right muscle fiber, and you don't have, you know, the proportions necessary, you, you can do all the gymnastics you want, and you're not going to get much in the way of results. And you're going to get very frustrated. And a lot of people end up blowing their shoulders and elbows out and getting hurt doing this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, just because someone is successful with a certain style of workout, doesn't mean he wouldn't have been more successful using a different way of working out. Absolutely, absolutely. And I want to bring up something important about uh, the time under tension here and that there are seemingly not much difference uh, between different weights. It When you talk about fatiguing the muscle what we're talking about here is actually uh, motor unit recruitment and fatiguing uh, these motor units the motor units that are trained are those that are recruited and fatigued and they and they are fatigued in a specific order so if you d don't either put on enough weight or put in enough time under tension certain motor units will not be recruited because the body doesn't need it that's and correct that's, that's why this type of training works However, doing multiple sets of submaximal effort will not recruit more motor units. 
That's true. You, you just use the same motor units again and again, and you fatigue those motor units to a point, but you won't get nearly the results as if you really push yourself. People say all the time, well, do I need to go to failure? No, you don't need to go to failure to get good results. But the, the problem is, how do you know you've recruited all the motor units? You don't. No. The only, way, the only way you know is when you can't do the lift anymore in good form or good technique. Then you know, oh, okay, I recruited everything I could in this particular workout. It, se it seems that uh, people do have a slight variance in uh, the time under tension that works best. There are some people that respond very well to a very long time under tension. My girlfriend, for example, has uh, she's, she doesn't have really good motor skills. And she has a lot of slow twitch muscle fiber. She yeah. responds really well from anything to 60 seconds to even up to three minutes on certain exercises. Wow. Really well. Yeah. I, I usually use an in-between of at least 90 to uh, uh, 120 seconds for her. She responds very well. Okay. She could be an amazing endurance athlete, really. And then I've had some guys that do really well and relatively short times under limb. And though uh, somewhere between 30 to 60 seconds seems to be ideal. And if you go longer than 70, they actually get less results and they have trouble recovering. And the only way you can determine that is through experimentation on your own. Do you find that that might change depending on the training? Let's say uh, if your girl started doing only shorter uh, durations that she would get better at that or something because I've seen it's, it's pretty much inborn. Oh, okay, yeah. It's it's a it's a genetic uh, characteristic. Uh, another thing I like to talk about is this whole idea that you need to train explosively to become more explosive in the ring, on the mat, or whatever. There is no research to support that, and even if there was. The dangers of training explosively with weight is so high, it doesn't make it worth it. And the idea that you can you know, do an exercise to mimic a sports movement is insane. I don't get that. Destroy your, your joints. I have a good friend of mine who should know better. He was demonstrating power cleans. Now, mm. there's no doubt that the power clean will make you stronger. And there is a strength transfer in the sports, but the strength transfer is that first part of the power clean where you're deadlifting the weight. <laughs> the rest of it is just a technique. And there you're, you're snapping your wrist and you're, you're getting like a whiplash and shearing force in the spine. And it's like, why the hell would you risk your body doing that if you're not a weightlifter? I, man, I said, man, what are you doing this shit for? I said, you know, yes, I did power cleans when I was young, but man, there's much safer alternative means to get just as strong without risking your spine or your or, or your wrist. I've never understood the fascin fascination of using power cleans and power snatches for uh, for sports because, and I'm an Olympic weightlifter, but uh, I mean it's such a technical technically di uh, difficult lift so why do you want to spend all that time teaching them proper technique when you could use a different exercise to get the same or even better results well you know we were we were talking about selection bias and and, and survival bias you know like 
only certain people with a certain genetic propensities are going to be successful in Olympic lifting. Uh, I think it was during the Munich Olympics where they were testing uh, vertical jump. And it was around this time they discovered that weightlifters had the highest vertical jump of like all athletes, even yeah. basketball players, track yeah. field athletes, and even volleyball players. And uh, they were astounded. So then everyone said, oh, well, then I should Olympic, do Olympic lifting so I can improve my vertical jump. No, dummy. Maybe it's the other way around. <laughs> it, it doesn't work that way. These guys have a high vertical jump because they have a preponderance of fast twitch muscle fiber, which makes them successful in Olympic lifting. Yeah. Called selection bias. And all the guys that didn't have that fast twitch muscle fiber and didn't wasn't weren't born with an amazing vertical jump, they petered out, they got hurt, they got injured or whatever. And then you got the survivor bias, you know, like the old Soviet uh, weightlifting programs that became like the dominating power for years. And then later the Bulgarians kind of took over. And yeah. I, think the, I think the Greeks took over for a while. Yeah, sure. Well, but anyway, uh, the, the guys that make it, let's say to the high elite levels, in Olympic lifting, there are probably a thousand dudes that did the same exact program that burn out, got injured, got sick doing the same exact program. So you have selection bias, people with a propensity for success in a particular sport. And then you have people that are just genetically really hardened to injury and they survive it. And then you don't see on YouTube all the crash and burns of all the guys that screwed themselves up doing the same exact routine. Exactly. I, I'm not saying Olympic lifting as a were. I, I used to Olympic lift when I was a kid. Uh, I was actually trained by the last uh, true champion of the United States. His name was Robert Bonarski. He oh, he's a legend. An Olympic champion. He, yeah. uh, he was in a race with the Russians to be the first guy to clean and jerk over 500 pounds. I actually watched him do a training jerk of 505 pounds. Wow. Uh, yep. He never did it. I think his highest in competition was 485, which is amazing. Yeah. And he and he wasn't a heavyweight. He was a light heavyweight. But he was my teacher. So I knew good technique. But very quickly, I abandoned Olympic lifting because it just took too much time. Uh, it was just too skill-specific. And I did not see the transfer to wrestling as I did from just doing simple chins and dips and rope climbing and body weight squats. I saw a much higher transfer to what I needed as a wrestler. So I abandoned the Olympic lifting for what, what I refer to as general training, general uh, strength training. So uh, today when you do your uh, high intensity one set to failure kind of deal, what, what, exercises do you do then obviously not power cleans <laughs> uh, i'll still do pull-ups or chin-ups i all yeah. back and forth between the grip uh, i use rotating handles a lot of times i'll attach them to a bar i travel with these little handles i made so yeah. I, can, i can find the the proper angle so it doesn't bug my elbows or my shoulders uh it's kind of like doing them on rings almost um i, I travel with a little uh, suspension device i made so i'll do body weight rows and push-ups I'll do dips between chairs. Uh, my dips don't. I, I know how to use my lats to protect my shoulder. Uh, I'll do either really slow bodyweight squats or time static contraction squat against the belt. I'll, I'll wrap my jujitsu belt around my waist 
and stand on the ends of the belt so that I can't rise more than just a little above the halfway point, and then I will hold a time-static contraction uh, against the belt. Uh, it's kind of like a hybrid between a yielding and overcoming. Wow, yeah. is that a killer? Uh, I'll do super slow bodyweight squats with both legs uh, using a technique called the in, um, antagonistic co-contraction where I'll pit the agonistic muscles against each other. So I uh, have a form of internal resistance. It takes tremendous motor control to do it. Wait, wait. How do you do this? It's called antagonistic co-contraction. Okay. Uh, I will pit my hamstrings against my quads. And my hip flexors against my hamstrings. Okay. And and I will very slowly from the bottom position come up just a little bit above halfway. And I stay out of the top range of the bodyweight squat. Because, you know, once your legs get to about the two-thirds of the way up, there's no more exercise taking place at the top. It's too easy. You have too yeah. much leverage. So I only do the bottom two-thirds of the movement, starting very slowly. I'll corkscrew the feet isometrically to recruit my my glutes, and I'll create as much tension throughout the entire lower body as I can, and very slowly rise just above the parallel, and then slowly go back down. I have taken guys like like professional level powerlifters and thrashed them within six reps. I mean, they literally just fall over in agony. Uh, for the people listening here, I want to make a point about uh, Steve's uh, cues here for screwing the feet and all these things. When I first started uh, getting into strength training, I picked up stuff from uh, Steve and from uh, Pavel Tsatsulin, and they were so both of them so far ahead when it came to describing seemingly simple exercises. And boy, did that pay off for me. Because I know how to activate, like uh, you talked about the lats and the dips, I know how to screw the feet, all these things. So please people, pick up something from Steve, any of his videos where he talks about these things, you will thank me. It will, you can apply it to any lift. And right? a lot of these things not only make you technically stronger, but... It protects the joints as well. Yeah, it's safer. Uh, I think you had uh, years ago a video where you, I think this was a YouTube video, where you demonstrate the the perfect push-up, where you do push-ups uh, to not ruin the shoulders. And it may be on YouTube. Yeah. It's stuff I did years and years ago. I was actually uh, at a jiu-jitsu school, and uh, I had a client that was suffering front shoulder pain. And I was trying to explain to him that you should never fill your front shoulders in the push-up. Yeah. And that uh, I showed him how to uh, activate the lats to help protect the shoulders by keeping this kind of, uh, I, I just say corkscrew, where yeah. you're isometrically turning the hands, pitting the arm forward, pointing the arm back. Uh, for people that are unfamiliar with this, it's probably hard to follow what I'm saying. But at any rate, you can do push-ups without damaging your shoulders. You know, th there's techniques like that for every exercise. All this is very difficult to explain in words. So if you don't know what we're talking about, please just either do a YouTube search for Steve Maxwell or go to his website and look at some of his videos because y you will thank me. This will take, I mean, 
it will keep you healthy for a much longer time. I promise you. Or, or go one better, get to one of my uh, body weight training seminars. Yeah, yeah. How many seminars do you do these days per per year? I don't even know, Stefan. I don't even know where the hell I am. <laughs> I'll, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll literally forget what country I'm in. <laughs> Seriously, it is nuts. Uh, you know, everything just kind of runs together. I am thinking about kind of slowing down a bit. I'm going to do way less seminars next year. Uh, I think this next tour of Europe is going to be my last tour. Really? For a while. I may just do a few select. Uh, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, finding a little place to kind of settle down a little bit. I've been on the road now since about 2005, I guess. You're like a rock star. Yeah. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I'm never going to want to settle, settle. But, you know, I, I wouldn't mind getting like a little base of operations and uh, traveling a little bit less. I've just been getting to feel it. I tell you, airplane travel is really hard in your body. People, it is. Being at, uh, at elevation and, and also the electromagnetic fields in the plane, uh, it's, yeah, it can be kind of rough, man. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, traveling overall, it's I, th I find very mentally tiring too, but maybe you're so used to it that you don't feel it that much. Uh, sometimes going between time zones can really kick your butt. It's, it's not bad going uh, west. It's pretty easy going west. But man, when you go east, whew. So do, do you like uh, plan it so you're doing a Europe tour, then you're doing an Asian tour? or How does this work? Do you plan it in years in advance, or how, how do you... Actually, almost uh, usually a minimum six months out. I already have, like, 2019 is already pretty much booked. Uh, I have slowed down just a little bit, uh, but I still have a lot of stuff going on here. <laughs> but then uh, after I get done with my Greek Odyssey camp in Ikaria, I think I'm just going to just chill. I may go to Russia. I have a, uh, a Sistema uh, guy I work with there. I may uh, hang out with him in the uh, Russian countryside a little bit. Uh, I've also uh, training with this Russian guy, Ukrainian guy, actually, uh, in Tenerife, in the Canary Islands, because uh, I'm still a student, too. I, I'm a master of jiu-jitsu. Uh, I'm eligible for my sixth don this year. I'm already fifth degree Black belt and jiu-jitsu. Wow. So I've, uh, I, I don't want to say I mastered jiu-jitsu, but, you know, I, I, I certainly uh, have some expertise there. But I like to keep learning, and I've, I've been really attracted to the to the Russian martial arts. I think they have a lot to offer. So Yeah, they have plenty of history in that field, don't they? Well, they know how to fight. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why they're always waging wars. Yep. Someone's always either after them or yeah. they're they're incurring in someone else's territory. But I like I like I like the Russian people and I I I, I want to uh, I, I really want to master this uh, this type of Russian martial art. I like it. I, I like their weapons defenses. I think their knife defenses are some of the best I've ever seen. Have you been to, uh, the, is it the Philippines that has uh, uh, Kali and, uh, what's the other one called? Um, where they fight with uh, knives and uh, uh, pensaxilat and this stuff. Yeah, I've heard of all this. Yeah, no, I, uh, 
I don't know that system. Uh, I've never trained in that system, but uh, I hear it's effective. But yeah, I guess it sort of came up because everyone wears or carries knives. So, uh, which is the same in Russia. Every boy has a knife in his boot. Uh, you know, they have a history of of knives and knife fighting. And if you're up against a bladed weapon, jiu-jitsu definitely has uh, its its uh, uh, self-defense. Yeah. I just don't really feel all that confident in it. Are you still doing uh, or giving uh, jiu-jitsu seminars? Oh, yeah. yeah I have yeah. one coming up. I have one in, uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. And that's a former student of mine who is now a black belt. Uh, I have one in Philadelphia, also with a former student as a school. Uh, I'm actually giving two brief seminars there. Uh, I'm also been invited by Hiron Gracie, who is Horian Gracie, who is a red belt. He's yeah. head of the Gracie family. His oldest son Hiron uh, does a jiu-jitsu lifestyle summit every year, and I teach my jiu-jitsu for a lifetime seminar there, where I show people how to protect their joints, various exercises to keep spry. Uh, you know how to how to prevent injuries with certain mobility drills and so on. Yeah, what other kind of uh, seminars do you do? You do uh, body weight? And do you do kettlebells st- still? I uh, now I pretty much stopped all kettlebell stuff. Yeah. Uh, I I I just found that they it's really hard. It was too much. When you start swinging a weight ballistically, you 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 really can cause a lot of damage. Yeah. I found that you know ballistic movements really put a lot of stress on the joints, and I just don't want to do that to myself anymore. So I've got kind of went back in time to the high intensity training model. Now I'm not saying for the listeners out there that kettlebells don't work. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that there's a high risk of injury, and there's many people finding that they're eroding joint health. And there's so many people have already had surgeries and joint replacements, and there's a lot of a lot of a lot of people finding that it, it's not the best way to train as you get older. Well, I think a theme of a common uh, theme of this conversation, whether it be gut health or uh, training, is uh, don't overdo it. I mean, there, yeah, there. You're gonna push yourself really hard. But yeah. Only do it. Only push yourself hard now and again. You don't do it like, you know, three or four times a week. Uh, I'm finding that most people seem to do really well in two weekly strength trainings. That's enough. The great Dorian Yates and Mike Mentzer, two, arguably two of the strongest, best-built bodybuilders ever, uh, were using this system. Now, some people say, yeah, but they use steroids and they were genetic freaks. Well, so are all the volume guys that, you know, train five, six days a week on, on split routines. They're all sure. using steroids and Uh, when Mike Menser went up against Arnold Schwarzenegger, and the uh, I think it was the NBAA Mr. Universe, it was a Joe Weider sponsored competition. Uh, him and Arnold uh, had the final pose down, and uh, Arnold won that competition. But many thought Mike Menser was robbed, and it was a Weider sponsored uh, competition, and Arnold was a Weider sponsored guy. So some people think that there was some politics. But either way, both guys looked unbelievable. Yeah. But Ar- Arnold was working out 26 hours a week in yeah. the competition. 26 hours. It's like a part-time job, man. 
Mike Mentor was working out 90 minutes a week, minutes versus 26 hours. Yet he was every bit as muscular and strong as Arnold. And, and I can't. Yeah, Dorian Yates. I mean, Dorian, if for you people listening out there who don't know, well, you obviously know who Arnold is, but don't know who the other guys are, Google Dorian Yates and you will see something that it's like out of a comic book. The guy was huge. He was humongous. He was like the first mass monster in bodybuilding, I would say. Now, a lot of people don't realize that very, very, very few people on the planet have the genetics to build that kind of muscle. Yeah, of course. One-tenth of one percent. Or maybe one Dorian Yates. Yeah. You're, you're going to have a very small percentage of the population that has the ability to gain muscle. I mean, there are some people that don't lift at all that would go to any gym and would look better than everyone in the gym. Yeah, we call them assholes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I saw uh, a guy at a pharmacy, and this guy was unbelievable. His arms, his forehead, he looked unbelievable. I asked him what he did. He says, nothing. <laughs> I was like stunned. I says, you don't lift. He says, no. I says, no sports. He says, no. And he would look better than 99% of most people in most gyms anywhere. That's genetic for you. Life isn't fair, man. <laughs> and then, and then, and then, you know, you have some guys that they could train. It wouldn't matter what they do. All the protein and pills and potions, and the diet and the lifting, and they still would look just slightly better than average. Yeah. Uh, and and you have everything in between. You know, you have guys with Woody Allen kind of physiques that are never going to have any kind of muscle mass or strength. And, but most people are somewhere in the middle. Are going to get reasonable results. And even even if you're uh, dealt a raw deal uh, genetically, I mean, you can still be better. You can still look better, be stronger than you were yesterday. So make use with what you got. Is all I'm saying. You've got to be very careful not to try to follow these marathon routines of the genetic superiors, following the advice of an Olympic athlete. Or somebody now of course i just mentioned mike menser and dorian yates yeah using the high high intensity system but for the most part i could never train like mike did his intensity methods were just uh, ridiculous they would do drop sets and forced reps and forced rep negatives they call them set extenders sure he took he took intensity to the absolute extreme uh, Do you advocate that uh, sort, of, sort of thing? Hell no. no. Hell no. I, I, I mean, I would be a burnt-out, injured mess if I trained like Mike. Yeah. The fact is, he wasn't training very much. His volume was very low. That was the point. You know. So trying to follow the routines of genetic wonders, champion athletes, is always a step in the wrong direction. Because it's always assumed that the guy with the biggest arms and chest knows the most. Those are the guys that get to be the trainers. And sometimes these guys don't have a clue, man. You wouldn't want to send your mother to them or, you know, to, for, for training because these, these guys are just genetic wonders. They, you know, they don't have to do much to get great results. They could do anything and look better than most people. And that's right. I mean, the, the best or the best uh, coaches aren't necessarily the best athletes and 
because maybe they didn't have to struggle maybe they didn't have to find or they had to struggle obviously but maybe they didn't have to struggle to find out what actually is a good system because whatever they did worked exactly exactly I, I mean, some of my uh, when I ran uh, my gym exercise, I opened it up in 1990 in January, uh, and I, I kept that going for almost 17 years with my ex-wife. And some of my best trainers were not really athletic; they were very knowledgeable. Uh, They're very good people. Uh, they really knew how to service their customers. Uh, you know, they knew all about customer service, but they were not particularly genetically gifted but they were just very good at working with people. They were genetically gifted at communication skills and helping motivate people. So uh, where can we learn more about uh, this type of training? Do you have any videos on it? I see you got a new book out on isometric on isometrics. A guide to isometrics. I also just shot a new video on how to use machines in the gym. People have no clue how to use them. I mean, you just see the most god awful stuff happening in the gym. And, you know, machines get a bad rep uh, for two reasons. One, the machine is poorly designed. The machine is just a really crappy machine. Uh, if the machine is well designed, it has low friction, and it has adjustable uh, adjustability, the seat should be adjust. And a, a well-designed machine should have a seat belt to hold you down. Uh, and the second reason machines get bad rap is because people use them in, in a really horrible way. They just throw the weight and slam the weight stack. So I just did a guide on proper use of gym equipment. And I also did a guide on general barbell and dumbbell training, not competitive weightlifting, just how to use a barbell to do general strength training. These guides are out now or are they about to be released? They're about to be released right now. Uh, okay. But uh, several isometric videos, yeah. uh, an isometric guidebook. Uh, I have a couple uh, mobility uh, videos out there. I have a lot of my old material still there, but uh, I, I just can't in, 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 in right conscious, consciousness uh, advocate lifting kettlebells anymore. I've just seen too many people uh, end up destroying themselves with it. That's a huge thing coming from you because, as I said in the intro, I think you were the first guy to hold kettlebell classes in the U.S., isn't it? Very first guy to do group kettlebell classes. They lend themselves really well to that. Now, I mean, like anything else, kettlebells could be used safely, but all the ballistic movements, I, I personally think over time it really erodes the, the uh, musculoskeletal health of the body. And many of the original people that started with me in kettlebells are already damaged and have had surgeries and uh, terrible injuries. And uh, I made that point earlier that proper training should prevent injuries, not cause. So if you're getting injured in the gym, you need to take a hard look at what you're doing and why you're doing it. Because when you're young, you can heal pretty quick from an injury. But man, once you hit your 40s, some of these injuries will plague you for the rest of your life to the day yeah. you die. So I guess that's all for me now, man. I, th I feel like I'm talked out, man. Oh, the <laughs> thank you so much for coming uh, to the show. I mean, it's been a pleasure to have you here and uh, some great info. I can't, I can't say enough how much uh, people should go to your website, check out your stuff. And you hear Steve, he's out on the road 
all the time. He doesn't have a home. Go to one of his seminars if he comes to your country, which I'm sure he will because he's everywhere. Because that's how you are, apparently. I love to travel. But uh, yeah. It's going to wind down next year, man. <laughs> it's going to wind down a little bit. I'll still do slick seminars. I'll probably still go to Greece every year. Uh, that Greek Odyssey training camp I really enjoy. I did bodyweight training there, and I also teach uh, jiu-jitsu for a lifetime seminar there. Yeah. We actually, we actually have mats right in the sand. Wow, that's cool. Go on the cool. website and look at my my uh, activities, events calendar, and they can see where I'm going to be. And what's the address to your website? It's maxwellsc.com. Maxwellsc.com. And people can find you on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or where are you? Correct. Yeah, I have a professional uh, page on uh, Facebook. I, I have a personal page, but I don't do anything on it. I never read it. I, I, I'm there mostly uh, just so I can monitor a couple groups that I belong to. But other than that, uh, yeah, my Facebook page is uh, uh, Maxwell, Steve Maxwell Strength and Conditioning. So check out all the stuff with Steve. I mean, he's he's an incredible resource. He's has produced so much stuff. You just got to learn from him. Regardless if you agree with what he said in this episode or not about strength training, I promise you, if you look into his stuff, you will come away with new knowledge and a few aha moments. I guarantee you. Well, it's hard to disagree because it's just common sense. Yeah, that's true. Because, I mean, listen, let's face it, it, it all does work. But by the time you've been trained three to five years, you're going to be in the same place no matter what system. And once you hit your 40s, that's pretty much it. You're going to start going downhill after that. So you got to try to slow that down as best you can. So the idea is to slow that down without getting hurt. Yeah, I'm putting on the brakes right now. I, I'm going to tell myself to listen to this episode tomorrow because I need to hear it again, I think, for myself. Because do as I say, not as I do. Well, you know, if, if two systems, I mean, all systems produce pretty much the same results in the end. If two systems, one takes, you know, like an hour and one takes 30 minutes, do the shorter system, you know? It'd be like if you went to a job and the guy would say, well, look, the pay is the same, but one of the jobs you work 20 hours a week and the other one you got to work 40. Well, for sure, you're going to take the 20 hour a week. <laughs> As the, the payoff is the same. Sure. And if two systems, you know, both systems are going to produce pretty close to the same results in the end. But one uh, is risky and there's a good chance of you getting hurt or even a fair chance of getting hurt, but one you know is really safe, well, for God's sake, do the safe system. Why risk the injury for Yeah. if the reward isn't there? Don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. On that note, we're, we will end, and I say thank you to Steve. It's been a pleasure to have you here, and uh, thank you for all the information. Thank you, Stefan. I'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, take care, man. Bye. Bye now. Okay, that's it for my conversation with Steve. Man, Steve, he's a cool dude. He's a nice dude and uh, so generous with the information. I've been following his stuff for years, man, and uh, I've picked up a lot of stuff from him. So uh, I suggest you do the same. I would love and stay in chat with you guys, but this episode has been running long already and uh, I'm sure you're sick of my voice by now. 
So I'll give you guys a break. Oh, by the way, you're probably listening to this uh, after New Year's Eve. So uh, Happy New Year, guys. Take care. Ciao.